0: This is HRT, a podcast featuring interviews with HR leaders, researchers, students, and influencers. HRT takes trending topics and research and human resources, sleeps them for 30 minutes or less, and leaves you with fresh-brewed ideas on how to drive high-performing, inclusive organizations and create meaningful work experiences. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD, the Graduate Programs in Human Resource Development at Villanova University.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to HRT. I'm your host, Bethany Adams. I love HRT, but truth be told, I'm a coffee drinker. I am so excited that you have found your way to our podcast. This is our very first episode of HRT, and we are going to start off strong, hopefully like you have brewed your tea. Our first guest is none other than HR leader, speaker, and influencer, Jennifer McClure. Jennifer is a business advisor and professional speaker who has worked in various executive roles in HR and is also the co-founder of Disrupt HR. Jennifer regularly speaks at professional and corporate conferences all over the world, including the SHRM annual conference on topics like high impact leadership, personal branding, and the future of work. And it was at the SHRM 18 annual conference that I had the chance to catch up with Jennifer and chat about several topics, including the growing field of HR analytics, the need for curiosity in HR professionals, and the disrupt HR movement. And I also asked her about her experience being a woman in the C-suite of an organization. At Sherm 18 Jennifer gave a presentation titled Reinventing HR, a Roadmap to Meet the Challenges of the Future and Achieve Success. Her presentation focused on the need for HR competencies and capabilities to evolve to meet challenges in the future of work. And one of those capabilities was understanding and utilizing HR analytics to make decisions. Jennifer said in her presentation that 80% of HR professionals rate themselves as low in this area, and this stat is alarming when you consider the ability to collect and accurately analyze data on our employees will become so critical, maybe not even become, but is so critical now to meet business challenges in our future. So I asked Jennifer, if so many HR professionals rate themselves as low in this area, what should we do about it? and how do we grow our skills?
2: I think like a lot of things, um, people get intimidated or uh, dismiss the idea of data and analytics and people analytics. And a lot of HR professionals, unfortunately, myself included, I will will own that, like to say I'm not good at math, you know? um, That's why I went into people, right? <laughs> yeah, and I've, heard, you know, so I've said that, I've heard people say that. Well, first of all, we need to quit saying that, even if it's true, uh, because already, then you're helping other people to discount your abilities there. That's right. For me, though, again, it comes back to, I didn't know what I didn't know way back when, and I think now, um, the advantage is to be curious.
1: Hmm.
2: You know, data analytics kind of flows out of someone asking a question of what, why, how, who, Um, So my advice always to to HR leaders and leaders in general when they're, you know, they'll approach me and say, you know, we really have a problem with this and I've been recommending this solution and no one in the organization is is listening to me or I can't get my leadership to buy in. Mm -hmm. And so I ask a few questions, and almost always it's because, you know, they're proposing, for example, a leadership development program or a new way of handling the benefits enrollment process or something where they can't get either the investment from leadership or the buy-in. Mm-hmm. And when I ask questions, it's it's very difficult for the, them to often articulate to me why they even were choosing to seek out a solution for the problem in the first place. It's usually, you know, I came to the Sherm conference and I heard about leadership development programs and I did some research and I found a great one. And so I proposed it to my leadership and they're like, that's too expensive. And I'm like, well, is there a leadership problem in your organization? And if there huh. is a problem, how, how do you measure that? You know, right. How did that come across your radar? Are Don't there, find
1: solutions for things yeah. for problems Are that might not be Are there an increase in employee
2: complaints? Are there people leaving the organization because they're telling you that they did not work for an effective leader? There's data behind your thought process of either thinking we need to look for a solution or proposing a different solution. Mm-hmm. And that's where we often miss the mark, I think, is we propose a solution because we have a gut feel. Uh, or because we heard someone else is doing it, or it's the new trendy thing. And when people don't buy in, it's because we haven't done the work to say, Mm -hmm. this is the actual problem in our organization. Here's how it's quantified. Ultimately, here's what it's costing us, whether that's we're missing an opportunity or it's costing us money on the bottom line. And I'm proposing something, a solution, that cost money more than likely but the investment will return more for us on the end you know it might even eliminate the problem or it's going to make it better or it's going to reduce something so I just think we need to kind of forget that it's people analytics or data analytics and think what are the questions that I'm asking
1: uh, and yeah. then be
2: curious and follow the path be why curious. am I asking that question what brought that to my attention how can I quantify that does it, usually it's, you know, what are your corporate measures? Usually cost, quality, productivity, safety, customer satisfaction, you know, those are the big ones that we're, we're all tasked with in some way to hit. Right. Does your potential problem affect one of those things? More than likely. How so? Dollars, cents, percentages, you know, up, down, <laughs> plus, <Yeah>. minus. <laughs> there is something in there, and that's where the curiosity just leads you down the path.
1: I love that, curiosity will, yeah get you where you need to go. And we all
2: have curiosity. About everything. So you don't, everything. quote, have to be good at math. Right. You can get other people to maybe quantify the data, but there's a reason why the problem came to your attention. Why?
1: Yeah, I love that. Make it a why instead of what are the numbers. Yeah. Right. Um, so kind of adding to that, you know, I one of the things that I think I've noticed is that a lot of people, we talk about data analytics and we talk about how, We should be measuring that. We should measure this and that and that. And then everything becomes something that we could measure, right? With where we're going and where technology is taking us, we're going to be measuring literally like how quickly are they speaking to one another? And what does that mean about their relationship? You know, we could measure everything. Sure. So where do you focus in on what? you should be measuring, even, you know, macro level, micro, like what should you be measuring in your organizations that you think is most critical?
2: Sure. It's great point. I mean, yes, everything can be measured. Right. And I actually, I worked for a Japanese organization for a period of time and we measured literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that was wonderful in its own way. But ultimately, whether it's measurement, whether it's your goals, whether it's your team's act objectives or the budget, et cetera, it should always flow from the business objectives there are either people on the leadership team um, or if you're on the leadership team, there are people who have taken a lot of time to set probably five, six, seven critical strategic initiatives for the organization and everything you do should flow from that.
1: Yeah, You can measure
2: a lot of things, but it's not ultimately adding value to the organization if it's not affecting one of those, you know, five to seven or however many it is, strategic initiatives. So what you do, what you measure needs to be focused on how can we help the organization achieve its strategic objectives. The great news is for HR professionals is that you control the biggest component in all of those objectives. Even if it's increased top line revenue, that's a function of the work that the people do in the organization. That's right. So again, getting curious, where are the people maybe uh, not as good as they could be, or where are we not as strong as we should be, or where Um, Do we need to improve training or retention? You know, it's almost always going to fall back very easily in HR's lap if you just start saying the goal is to, you know, improve our margins by 25%. Okay, what's my role there? What can I measure in order to quantify the problem or the opportunity? And then that's what I need to set for my personal goals and my goals for the organization that I support.
1: I love that Jennifer's advice is all about increasing your curiosity. There is new research that shows that curiosity is actually vital to an organization's performance. A recent Harvard Business Review article by Francesca Gino explores the benefits of nurturing curiosity in employees, including fewer decision-making errors, more innovation, more open communication, and better team performance. Those reasons alone should encourage us to be more curious, but as Jennifer said, we should focus our curiosity around adding value to the organization and the initiatives that will drive us towards our strategic goals. During our interview, I asked Jennifer about the creation of Disrupt HR, something that sounds like it started from her and her co-founder being curious themselves. Curious in that there's something in HR that needed disrupting in order to start a project called Disrupt HR.
2: Yeah, and I think this is probably another good takeaway for people is, sure, I had ideas, but my ideas were made better by someone else you know, so really connecting with other people that are smarter than you in a lot of ways or uh, who make you think or who think differently or in some cases just help you execute your ideas. And so uh, actually it was 2013 where I had been about three years into my career as a full-time speaker and uh, certainly speak at a lot of conferences like the Sherman Annual Conference and uh, HR conferences, recruiting conferences, leadership conferences. Love what I do and was having lunch with a friend who is uh, an entrepreneur. You know, he starts and founds companies and looks for opportunities. And he had founded a company in the HR technology space at the time, not an HR person, um, but saw an opportunity and you know, created this company. And so he was doing the smart thing of going out and connecting with people that he felt like could help him to understand the market and his product, et cetera. So we would meet a couple times a year to chat. And so we were having lunch and he said, you know, what are you excited about? Again, he asked great questions. He's always, everything you say, he can, he thinks you can make a million dollars at it. So it's great to talk to people like this. <laughs> he's like, oh, he starts taking notes. I this could be great. I like that in yes. my life. <laughs> <laughs> you could do this. We could do this. We could make a company. You could be a millionaire. And I'm like, I love the way you think. <laughs> so he asked me something along the lines of, you know, what, what was I excited about or what's next? And I said, you know, I... I go to a lot of these conferences and events, and they absolutely serve a need. I mean, the organizers have to meet the needs, like at the SHRM conference here, of 20,000 people and providing content that people both need in their workplace that can help them in a lot of cases get professional development credits, et cetera. But because I go to a lot of different conferences, I see a lot of the same content at the same conference, at at different conferences, which, again, not critical of that fact. That's what the the audience is. You know, the audience in Tennessee needs the same thing as the audience in Washington State, as the audience in Pennsylvania. But because I'm going to all three of those, I see the same thing. everywhere, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I said, you know, that's great. It serves a need. Um, But I feel like there's an opportunity to have an event someday, maybe even in Cincinnati where I live, Uh, where I could assemble a group of speakers that would be talking about things differently, maybe, you know, sharing new ideas and innovative ideas. And so I just kind of like, that's what I do best. I have ideas and I just throw them out there and I leave a lot of them on the ground.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, but then somebody else is picking them up and t- running them. And that was them. the
2: great thing about Chris Ostich. Uh, he ultimately gets to be the founder because he took the idea <laughs> and didn't leave it on the ground. I mean, he, he encouraged me. He's like, we, you know, you, you should do that, and, and we could help, you know, his company. said so we could help. And I said, that'd be great. We should do that someday. And so kind of just left that lunch meeting as I, like I said, threw an idea out there, uh, someday it'll happen. And he ultimately went back and sat with his team and kind of said, you know, this is a great idea. How can we make it a thing? And called me and said, you know, why don't we do this? He was the community organizer for Ignite events at the time in Cincinnati. And he said, why don't we use that Ignite format? Five minutes, 20 slides, 15 seconds. We'll invite cool, edgy people, the broader business community, not just HR recruiting people, to talk about talent in a whole new way. And we'll have them use the disrupt form or the ignite format, so that everybody's on the same page. And of course, that makes a lot of things sometimes fun and funny. And yeah, let's hold it (laughs) in a a historic brewery downtown where all the hipster people live. And and so we did. Yeah, stage and so we did. We We did that December two thousand thirteen. Uh, again, I'm a small thinker sometimes, and I was like, we'll just do that once. Um, but we did, and a friend of mine, Mary Faulkner from Denver, was in the area, and I said, you have to come to this. And so she did, and afterwards she said, can we do this in Denver? And and we, Chris said, sure, we'll help you. And then from there, a friend, we, I think we put the videos online, and a friend saw the videos in Toronto and said, can we bring this to Toronto? And we're like, sure, we'll help. And it just kind of one by one, and a couple years in, I think we had 15, 16 cities that that um, Chris and his team were mostly helping. I was cheerleading. Um,
1: Cheerleaders are needed yeah. <laughs> and on so the sidelines. We finally
2: said, you know, maybe we should make this a thing. It's, it's you know, I'm still a volunteer with it this to this right. day. I mean, we do charge a small license fee now just to pay for the cost of the website and the video hosting. And we have a VA that works five hours a week. But it's really is more of a movement to me than a Absolutely. business a lot of people tell me that i should think bigger including chris uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i'm like i'm spending about 30 hours a week on a movement right now <laughs> in addition to trying to run my own business You're like
1: i need everyone uh, else to move yeah. this movement and they, which are. they are and yeah. that's
2: i i really am i think sometimes you know you hear a lot of times you don't sit down and think about giving celebrating your successes and, and again it's not my success it's a, a over 300 global organizers to this day. It's Chris, who has moved out of the HR tech industry now into another company, but is always supportive of me. Um, It's the over 2,400 people that have given five-minute Disrupt HR talks today. Um, It's the thousands of people who are viewing videos every day of the talks that are out there online. And I love uh, not only, yeah, I mean, we like I said, 2,400 talks, I'd say probably like a lot of things 20% of them are probably great talks innovative ideas 60% of them are good talks maybe talking about the same things that you hear you know millennials and culture performance evaluations and
1: we get stuck on some of these same things and
2: then there's 20% where somebody challenged themselves to give a talk (laughs) they've never spoken before or they've never done the 5 minute 20 side 15 second which most people haven't and they just completely bomb or they they miss the mark or their idea is not great and i love those talks too because i love to see like the social media posts from the different events cuz i follow all of them online where people are really encouraging someone who is challenging themselves to get up yeah. and do it and they're sh- you're giving it a shot and everybody knows they're nervous or, or they fail. And the good news is it's only five minutes. That's so right. even from the audience perspective, you're sitting there going, I want to, I feel, I want to help this person, you know, yeah, <laughs> or that person comes off the stage and like, well, that was a disaster, but I want to do it again so I could do it better. So I love the whole gamut of the people who, who don't do it well, the people who, just give it a shot to the people who get up there and share something really great. And I love helping them spread their message.
1: We love Disrupt HR, too. For those of you listening who have not attended a Disrupt HR event, I would strongly encourage you to find a local event and attend. As Jennifer said, each event is full of innovative ideas that will challenge you to think differently. If there isn't an event close to you, check out their website for the videos of past talks from events all around the world. And if there's something in HR that you feel needs disrupting, Maybe challenge yourself to give your own five-minute talk at an event. It just takes a little courage and a little curiosity. So my final question for Jennifer was related to her career path and leadership roles she had had in HR. I noticed that through her career, there were several times where she was the only female on a leadership team. And early in her career, she was the youngest person on a leadership team. Considering that as of 2018, women accounted for less than 24% of senior roles globally and less than 5% of the Fortune 500 company's CEOs were women, it doesn't feel like we have come all that far. But we are seeing more and more organizations working towards gender parity, specifically in leadership roles. So I asked Jennifer about her experience. How did she navigate being the only female or the youngest person on a leadership team, and what advice would she have for others in that position now?
2: It's interesting, you know, when I started in my, I guess, business career, HR career at 23 after kind of a starter job, which, you know, was still a thing even back then, um, I didn't, there wasn't all of the information that's out there today, you know, the internet didn't exist. Al Gore had not invented it yet. Um, (laughs) This was in the 80s, and I probably didn't read enough, and I had a couple years out of school, and I never really thought about being the youngest person in the company other than I knew that was a fact, and I never really thought about being the only woman on the leadership team. I was just thrilled to be there. So I wonder if my experience would actually have been different if I were more aware of how... How odd I should have felt, maybe?
1: I don't know. Yeah. Well, we shouldn't feel odd, <laughs> yeah, right? But I think that we're, it's so, it's something we talk about so much now, right? Um, that we are very aware of it.
2: And so I think, you know, I, again, I'm sharing my own experience and, and other people's experiences certainly can add to that. But because I was just so excited to be there and to contribute, and I felt like I had a lot to contribute, I never let it be an issue for me. I never, felt like I was being talked down to or I never felt like I was being dismissed I just saw it as I had something to say and I'm gonna say it um you know or I'm going to do the work or um if I wanted something I guess I've always felt like I've got to figure out what I've got to do to get there now now granted there were a couple of times that I can recall that it was mentioned that I was a woman, or. Uh, Really, when I got pregnant, uh, there were a couple Mm of things that happened that I was just so shocked that that was even an issue or something that someone would bring up. But thankfully, I actually had leaders who kind of came in, the the president of the company kind of came in and was like, that's not an issue here. It was actually he had recommended me to lead an initiative in the company and one of the other managers said i don't think she should do it because she's pregnant in other yeah. words she's going to be out for right. a period of time and he was like that's not i nominated not her okay. for this because i feel like she's the best person to lead right so i think you know i also had some good support in that case but my advice would be I think, certainly to be aware of it. It is much more an issue, I think, for everyone today to be young or to be new or to be the new kid on the block, regardless of how old you are. And certainly there are issues with gender and other things in the workplace. But it ultimately comes down to, do you have competence in your ability to contribute? And are you willing to do the work in order to get noticed? I I still believe that it is a very small percentage of people that try to hold other people back or hold them down. And so I don't don't approach or go about my work in that way. Usually those people ultimately end up being people that I don't want to work with or they're probably not top performers or the people that I want to be associated
1: with. So it's often, hey, great, you just helped me figure out that we're not a good fit such great advice. There seems to be a bit of a theme in the advice that you're hearing from Jennifer that she must have followed in her own career path. Be curious, and when you have something to say that's going to add value, don't be afraid to say it. Don't be afraid to disrupt. It was such a pleasure to have the opportunity to interview Jennifer. If you ever have the opportunity to hear her speak at a conference in the future, please, please do yourself a favor, don't pass it up. I promise you will walk away with actionable ideas that will help your organization or help you grow in your career. All right. This concludes our very first episode of HRT. On our next episode, I will introduce you to three more amazing HR influencers that I was able to catch up with at the SHRM 18 conference after my interview with Jennifer. Remember, whatever you are drinking, whether it's tea, coffee, or something a little bit stronger, I hope it leads you to new ideas that will help make work better for all of us. Cheers.
0: Thank you for listening to HRT. As your thoughts from today's episode steep, share with us what you're brewing using the hashtag HRT. That's hashtag HRTEA. HRT is brought to you by Villanova HRD. To learn more about the graduate programs in human resource development at Villanova University and for all the links and notes from today's episode, visit the Villanova HRD blog at villanovahrd.com.